0: Father, would you um, continue to do what you have always promised to do? Would you be present with us and would you help us to lean into the things that you want us to lean into? Would you help us to wrestle with the things that you want us to wrestle with? Would you change us, transform us, empower us, God? Help us to hear the things that you want to speak and lord i pray that anything i share today that's not not up to your standards not according to scripture just just have those things just bounce right out of our minds but the things that are from you help them to take root inside of our hearts i pray this in jesus name amen you know we've been in this sermon series now this is this week week number five in the sermon series called doxa which is the greek word for anybody know Come on doxa what did you say no but that's that's a good one yeah it's always a good answer to go with right love not wisdom guys i've been teaching greek for four weeks now what is going on it's glory okay it's okay you don't need to know greek yeah sounds like worship there you go doxa and we're we're thinking about worship in the book of exodus and we kind of been just skimming through and part of this came because you know a couple months ago i was i was just sitting there and i was like man i need to read i want to read something and i've done this i do this pretty regularly where i'll just sit down and read a whole book of the bible just because that's how they were meant to be read not like many of us who just you know lord speak to me random verse out of context oh i feel so good and then leave it Like these were written in context, right? And so I read the whole book of Exodus and I was like, mind blown because there were certain things that I had just not, not observed or seen in the past of engaging with Exodus. So what we've talked about so far is three things. We've been talking about what worship is. And you know, the first week I, I, I started us out and we looked at Exodus and saw that worship is an outward expression of an inward reality. Uh, we then looked at how worship is response, right? In the book of Exodus, we see God miraculously saving Israel, right, uh, like pulling them out of pulling them out of slavery in Egypt, and then uh, their response is to worship God. And then last week, Terry, again, did an awesome sermon, and, you know, she was navigating a lot. It was just so good, but this idea of how worship is something we do when we navigate change, right? And there's, like, newness and all these really interesting things that we have to work through. And, and today, as we wrap up our look at Exodus, what I want to do is I want to lean into another aspect of worship, um, what worship does to us. I want us to think about what does worship do to us? Now, the first thing i got to say, though, when I go into that as a topic is that can we all agree right now that worship is not about us? Right? It's not about us. Like, I think that's where we sometimes get it upside down because a lot of people in modern worship, when we think about worship, we're like, oh, I need to go to such and such worship center. The music just, oh, it just touches me. And I'm like... It's not supposed to be like that. Really, like it's an upside down way of looking at worship. Worship's not about me. Amen? Amen. It doesn't mean that we don't like the music or the, you know, whatever things. But at the end of the day, if our starting point is worship does this to me, then we've kind of missed the whole point of worship. Worship is about God. That being said, Scripture does give us a clue about what worship is does to us though it does help us to understand what's happening and and i want to kind of interpret that just really quickly side story so for me growing up in the church you know being around worship my whole life and, and and when i was about 16 17 18 years old going through this process in my church i was like, I went from you know, being that kid who'd be you know with my parents driving to church and I'd be praying that the Holy Spirit didn't show up at church because then things would get weird and my friends would think that my church was weird even though my church was totally weird, right? <laughs> like I went from, from that to like standing there and you know, everybody's worshiping and being like, I don't wanna raise my hands because then everybody will judge me even though everybody was judging me because I was the only one that wasn't raising my hands. Then I go to this process of like, I want to actually start engaging in worship. I'm starting to realize that God is greater and bigger than I ever imagined. And then I have this encounter with God where, um, you know, I, I'm absolutely overwhelmed by the love of God. And I knew that 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 I knew that, I knew that God loved me. And then it was actually like he loves every single person in an individual way while collectively, you know, loving everybody. And it was like this mind-blowing moment. And I remember I was like, okay, like, I I want to worship him because of who he is, and then, you know, I, I started engaging in that, and over time, I remember there was this moment where I, I, some of you heard this story, but I was like driving, and I was like worshiping my face off, and I looked over, and the truck driver person was looking at me, staring at me, and I felt so embarrassed, and I was like, what is going on? And I remember one, I was like, what is happening to me? I'm changing, like something's happening, and that's what I want to lean into a little bit, and, and we can see this in the book of Exodus, okay, and so theologians, they, they talk about this in systematic theologies, and the way that they talk about what we're going to lean into is, what are the results of worship? Like, what happens when we worship? And we know in the book of James, James says that when we draw near to God, God draws near to us. In in the Old Testament, the prophets would say that when we delight in God, God delights in us. And so those are results of worship. But Exodus kind of, it kind of fleshes out a little bit more Uh, to the story here, and this is super important for us because our church, the Vineyard, the Red Bluff Vineyard, is part of a movement, and there's, you know, I don't know, 2,500 churches all over the world that are part of our family of, of churches, and one of the things that's part of our heritage, this is like early on, the thing that makes us who we are is that we've always been a community that values worship, not just as singing songs about God, but singing songs to God, and that we believe that intrinsic to worship is the idea of experiencing God's presence. And some of you know, last week, I, I, got, I went down to visit my daughter, Alana. And, and so while I was head down there, one of my friends who pastors this church in Anaheim asked me if I'd be willing to preach. And I was like, yeah, I, I could do that for you. And, and it just so happens, though, in this church um, are all of like the people back in the 70s and 80s that paved the way for our church in any church like us. So Carol Wimber, who her husband, John, John and Carol are kind of the founders of the vineyard. She goes to their church. And so as I get up to preach, I'm looking out and I'm like, this is the who's who of like what we're doing these days. Like Eddie Espinosa was there. Anybody ever heard the song, Change My Heart, Oh God? Right? He wrote that. I'm just like, Eddie Espinosa. He's like leading worship. There's all these like really, you know, quote unquote, famous people there. And And I remember when I got up, I was like, I I was like, I just want to just let you know, like, we wouldn't know about what worship is if it hadn't been what God did through you guys back in the 30, 40 years ago. And and so it's part of who we are. You know, our history as a movement is centered on worshiping and experiencing God. And so let's dive into Exodus for a few minutes here. What we've been seeing is we kind of went through the whole story, starting in in Exodus chapter 1. We worked through so We saw Moses is raised up. We saw that Moses, you know, eventually, you know, um, has this encounter with God in a burning bush. And then he goes back to Egypt and says, let my people go so that they can worship God. And Pharaoh's like, yeah, that's cool. Just kidding. And then they go through this up and down, back and forth, where finally these 10 plagues are poured out. And in Pharaoh, the the Egyptian emperor says, get out of here. And then the people of Israel leave and then Pharaoh's like, wait a minute, all of our slave labor is gone. Let's go get them. And then they get to the Red Sea. God parts the Red Sea. The people of Israel go go across it and they escape. And then the the armies of, of Egypt go across to chase them and then the waves come down and destroy them. And so like the people of Israel have seen time and time again, God do miraculous things right? I mean, it's like everywhere in the whole entire narrative. Now, what are they, they're following a pillar of fire, right? I mean, like they see, I mean, can you just imagine some of the things, if we, if we live that out, we would, we would be like, oh my gosh, can you imagine, can you see that? Did you just see that? I mean, it's like their minds are blown. And then, this is what I love, but we see the rest of the story and we see how humanity works, right? Because it's like 37 seconds after God does these things, the people of Israel are like, we should have staged slavery, you know? And they're grumbling and complaining and they're just always upset. And Moses, I mean, like I read that, I'm like, oh my gosh, Moses has just got to be going crazy, right? Because Israel's grumbling, they complain nonstop. And despite witnessing God's miracles and power, they end up making a golden calf and worshiping it. It's just like, when you guys read this, are you guys like, you guys are so, so dumb, yeah. right? <laughs> like, I mean, it's like, we're, we just look at the people of Israel and we just judge them. <laughs> we, we do. And it's interesting because we're like, you know, Sunday, we're like, shout to the Lord. We're getting all into it. And then Monday, we're like, beep, on the road, you know, <laughs> kind of the same thing, kind of, you know, like we forget, right? But that's what the people of Israel are doing. They're, it's like they keep forgetting, god's faithfulness and so it's it's crazy so we've been seeing that and and moses is interesting because he's so frustrated by the people of israel he's constantly like lord lord what is going on you know like these people are stiff-necked and then god's like well i mean i can do something about that and moses like no 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 (laughs) have mercy It is crazy. I mean, like, reading this book makes me feel so much better as a leader. Because I'm like, it's normal to go back and forth, right? Because, I mean, you see it. Moses is constantly like, Lord, you need to deal with these prideful, you know, egotistical, self-centered, gossiping people. And God's like, all right, I can do that. Don't do too much, though. Okay? Okay. It's crazy. All over the book of Exodus, there's this thing happening. And so it's like it leads us up to this point where, where at the end of Exodus, um, we reach the point where Moses is just like beyond frustrated, okay? And, and I, I mean, like, if, he, if I had to go through that type of stuff, i got to be honest, I'm so grateful for our church community because other than three or four of you, no one does that. Just kidding. Uh <laughs> But no, I mean it's like we're very. We're, I'm very grateful for the community we have, because I couldn't imagine. I couldn't imagine the challenges that Moses is facing, and so he gets to this point where he is just like, he is so frustrated because they've been going in circles too. God has been calling Israel to go north and then south and then east and then west, and and he's just like, oh my gosh, these people, these people, they're constantly complaining. They keep forgetting their commitment to you, God, and and he's just absolutely challenged. And then finally, this is what's interesting, after all this, after all this has happened, I mean, Moses gets to this point though in Exodus 33 where he says, God, I don't care as long as you're with me, as long as you're with me. And we read this in Exodus 33 where Moses then says, he says, if you don't personally go with us, Lord, If you don't go with us, don't make us leave this place. How will anyone know that you look favorably on me, on me and on your people if you don't go with us? Listen to this. He says, for your presence among us sets your people and me apart from all other people on the earth. And this is the sign to me of desperation. And the more I think about it, I think this is central to worship. It's like no one else deserves worship. <laughs> no other thing deserves worship. I mean, there is no one else um, to go to because everything that the world has to offer ultimately fails us. I mean, I, I think about that. I mean, you can, you can never have enough money, right? I mean, you see these interviews um, of billionaires and millionaires, and they, they are open. They talk about being unhappy. You know, and I'm like, if I had a billion dollars, I feel like I would be happy. But not really, because we see that time and time again. Money is not the solution to the world's problems, right? So we we know that money doesn't bring happiness. Um, Sex and relationships do not have the capacity to fulfill human emptiness, but for a moment. We see that all over, too. I mean, like, I know many people who it's like, if I can just find someone. You all know somebody like that? If I could just find somebody, everything would be great. And then every married person's like, mm, it's not. <laughs> and it's not that marriage. I mean, like, I love Don. I am so grateful for marriage. But here's the thing is that's not ever going to be able to fulfill the emptiness of the God-sized hole that we have. In fact, it becomes unhelpful at times, too, because you put all of this expectation in this one person. And as soon as they are normal human beings and they fail you, what happens? You're back to square one, right? So sex and relationships are unable to fulfill the emptiness that we have. So, you know, we can't, we can't be desperate only for that. I mean, drugs and alcohol, a lot of people, especially in today's world, you know, they, they buy into this idea that drugs and alcohol will fulfill all the emptiness. But I mean, we all know it's not that, right? I mean, you know, this, recent, this last week I was at a substance abuse support group just to kind of check it out and hang out with some friends, and I, I heard a statement that someone said that I know many of you have heard a million times, but, you know, one is too many and a thousand is not enough. I was like, man, that is, that's a good way to look at it. You know, worship, though, is what happens when we come to the point where we know that there is no one else that we can go to. When we have come to the last straw, that's why I think the whole idea of hitting rock bottom is something we all really need, though, when it comes to our faith in Jesus. We get to the point where we're at the end of ourselves. We realize that there is no one else that we can go to other than Jesus. This is the same thing we see in the Gospel of John. I love this. You know, Jesus, you know, a lot of people are like, I love Jesus, I I love Jesus, and then you tell them the things that Jesus says, and they're like, oh, well, I mean, he's not perfect. It's like, no, he actually is. And he says some things that are challenging to us, doesn't he? And so in this, in this text in John 6, Jesus gets done in his teaching, and people are like, that's too much. It's too much. I cannot do this. And they leave. And this is what he says to his disciples. At this point, many of his disciples turned away and deserted him. Then Jesus turned to the 12, and he asked, are you also going to leave? Simon Peter replied, Lord, to whom would we go? You have the words that give eternal life. We believe and we know you are the Holy One of God. Peter's acknowledgement summarizes the Christian faith. And it summarizes Christian worship. Where else would we go? Where else would we go? And if you look back at Exodus 33, that's essentially what's happened for Moses. Moses has gotten to the point where he realizes that, you know what, God, if you want us to go west and then east and then north and then south, if you want us to go in circles, I will totally do that because as long as your presence is with me, I'll be okay, right? And that has to become central to our theology of worship. It's just like Jamie said, if the chords go off or the song is out of key or whatever, is God still with us? That's the most important thing. Amen. It's, it's, the, it's a biblical theology of worship. God's presence is what sets us apart from the rest of the world. So what do we have to offer? I mean, that's kind of the question I guess I'm proposing is what do we have to offer as followers of Jesus to this world that is desperate, that is broken, that is lost, that has lost its mind? We have Jesus. We have Jesus. But this doesn't get to the question of what happens when we worship. And so I want to just talk about that for just a couple more minutes. A couple more minutes. So God promises to remain with the people of Israel. And he says, you know, after Moses says, he says, I promise I'm going to be with you. I'll be faithful. I'm going to love them. I'll be gracious. I'll be merciful. And then Moses uh, is told by God, come on up to the mountain and we're going to meet again. And so this is what God's doing is he's giving Moses the law. He's constantly telling Moses the things that he wants Israel to do. And so Moses goes on up there. And in Exodus 34, we read these words. When Moses came down Mount Sinai, carrying the two stone tablets inscribed with the terms of the covenant, that's the Ten Commandments, okay, he wasn't aware that his face had become radiant because he had spoken to the Lord. So when Aaron and the people of Israel saw the radiance of Moses' face, they were afraid to come near him. When we experience God's presence, when we engage in the act of worship, we are transformed. We are changed. That's why there's a a few things that I think we need to to think about um, as a community and we need to always prioritize this aspect of, of worship Because when you commit your life to living a life of worship and you're constantly in a space where you're engaging in God's presence and pursuing God's presence and and situating yourself to experience God, you cannot leave the same. It's impossible. And that's what Moses shows us. He goes up to the mountain, interacts with God, comes down and everybody's like, whoa. He's like, what's wrong? What's wrong? And they're like, your face is shining, which is a fulfillment. In, November, in number six, um, there's this Levitical prayer where it's like, may the Lord shine his face upon you. And I don't know if you found that to be true, but when we interact with God, when we are in his presence, we can't help but become more like him. And the reason why is because all over the Bible there's this principle that we become like who or what we worship. If you worship money, you become greedy. But if you worship Jesus, you become like Jesus, right? And that's why you want to make sure that the object of your worship is Jesus. Throughout Scripture, we see over and over again that we become like Jesus when we engage in worship. This is the way that Dwayne Garrett fleshes this out. In his commentary on Exodus, he says Moses' communion with God left an imprint upon him in the form of a radiant glow, a reflection of the glory of Yahweh, the covenant-keeping God of Israel. His face glowed because he had been in close proximity to the glory that is the love, faithfulness, and saving righteousness of God. Let's stand up together.